Well, I want to welcome you all to another Daily Decade on this beautiful Christmas Eve. We are uh, recording this ahead of time, so needless to say, if you have submitted any kind of intention, as I, I hope that you have, I unfortunately will not be able to refer to it until the morning of uh, Monday following Christmas. So, because uh, with the the feast and the vigil and everything, and the only time I'll be in the car will be with a couple of screaming kids and my wife. So, needless to say, I won't be recording the Daily Decade. But I nevertheless encourage you to write in, especially at this time of year. Uh, it's a, a wonderful opportunity for everybody here to perform a work of mercy by turning their prayers to your intentions. And you can send those intentions in to Daily Decade Requests at ProtonMail.com. Decade is D-E-C-A-D-E. And requests is in the plural at protonmail.com. And any suggestions, any ideas that you want to send in, this past Tuesday we did a very special show with the uh, with the Decade of the Rosary performing an examine of conscience. And if, if that sort of thing is interesting to you, if you felt like you got a lot out of that and you'd like me to do things like that more often or anything of that nature, please let me know. I've done... A couple of other things like that. I've done the uh, Rosary of the Seven Sorrows of Our Blessed Mother. I've done the Full Rosary. We've done an episode on that. We've done two episodes with the Full Rosary. So there's always room for doing something special on the Daily Decade. And if you have any requests, if there's anything that especially appeals to you, is helpful to you, please let me know. Because the whole point of this is to lift everybody up, to bring us all closer to God, and of course to instill in everyone a deep and abiding love of the rosary and of this means of spiritual perfection, which is so simple and is a gift given to us directly by the Blessed Mother herself. So today I don't have any intentions uh, because... As of the recording, I have not seen any new intentions in the inbox, but I want to pray for all of y'all as we go into Christmas that this is a productive nativity, uh, that this is a a joyful, spiritually productive, I should say, this is a joyful feast of the nativity, and that it offers you an opportunity to forgive old wrongs and to be forgiven of the of any wrongs you may have committed uh, and that you draw nearer to your families and to your friends especially in this time of, of deep winter and, uh, and the enforced separation that has been imposed upon so many parts of the world and so many parts of the country in which I live so for all of you and for, for your experience of this Feast of the Nativity. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in Cielis, sanctificator nomen tu, adveniat regnum tuum. Fiat voluntas tua, sicut in Cielo et in Terra. Panam nostrum quotidianum da nobis hodie, et dimidi nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos diminimus debitoribus nostris. Et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. 
Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostre. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, Sicurerat Principio et Nunc et Semper et Seculus Calorum. Amen. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordia, Vita do Cielo et Spes Nostri Salve. A te clamamus exulis filia evi, a te suspiramus gementes et flentes in hac lacrimarum vale. Ea ergo, Advocata Nostra, Ilos tuos misericordes oculos ad nos converte. Et Jesum, beatum fructum ventris tui, nobis post hoc exilium ostende. O Clemens, O Pia, O Dulci, Virgo Maria. Ora per nobis, sancta de genetrix, ut dignis officiamur promissionibus Christi. Oremus. Pour forth we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen.
for all of us in struggles, in difficulties, in darkness. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who roam about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Now, here we are. We've made it. It's the Vigil of the Nativity. And we've come to the close of Advent, which I hope has been one in which you've engaged in some uh, of the challenges that we've offered here at the Daily Decade to make it a season of almsgiving, reflective of the season of penance that Lent inevitably is, and that your almsgiving has been productive for the recipients and, um, and spiritually productive for you. The Feast of the Nativity is not as ancient as many others. It's actually probably one of the later developments on the church calendar in terms of a major feast. Obviously, Easter is the is the biggie. Uh, but I've always found it very interesting that before the development of the Feast of the Nativity as a major focal point on the Christian calendar, the Feast of the Annunciation was already kept with some pomp throughout the ancient Christian world. That's part of that reason that we arrive at the date for Christmas at December 25th. It's exactly nine months after the 25th of March when the Feast of the Annunciation was traditionally celebrated. And the Feast of the Annunciation has a longer pedigree than the Feast of Christmas or the Feast of the Nativity. Christmas, of course, being the English, um, the particular English expression of it, Christ's Mass. This is where we get Christmas, Candlemas, Michaelmas. Um, I know there's another there's another mess in there somewhere, but I can't remember what it is. Oh, um, uh, Whit Sunmas. Whit Sunday is sometimes called that, but that's not it. Oh, what is it? You know, it's going to come back to me. And, uh, and I'm going to kick myself that I couldn't remember it now that I'm recording this. But this, uh, there are specific masses, of course, celebrated both in the uh, Roman as well as the Sarum rite uh, in England. And that's where the term comes from. But the, uh, the celebration itself has uh, a somewhat, uh, has, has a different pedigree, of course. It's. Uh, it began sometime in the, I, if I'm remembering correctly, it would be the fourth or fifth century that it began to be celebrated. In addition to the feast of the Annunciation and of the uh, the feast of the uh, of, the, of the Resurrection of and, and the Crucifixion, which is uh, Easter. It's an interesting thing to celebrate. You know, there are, of course, nativities that show up on the on the calendar. You have the nativity of St. John the Baptist. You have the nativity of our Blessed Mother. But the nativity of Christ, it is not, at first, 
an obvious feast, really. Christ, of course, would have been known by everyone as uh, a, a fully developed uh, human being uh, before whom they all came and brought their uh, whatever baggage they had along with them. And, uh, he offered them healing of a spiritual and of a physical kind. But most of all, he sacrificed himself on the cross, a uniquely uh, adult, masculine thing to do, that kind of sacrifice. And the nativity raises all kinds of problems and all kinds of questions, really, because you talk about the incarnation. Well, you know, the, the incarnation of Christ as a babe raises some serious questions about, well, what kind of human was he? What kind of divinity was he? And there's a lot written on the incarnation itself uh, by St. Athanasius, but when he's talking about that, he's talking about God becoming man. He's not necessarily talking so much about Christ as an infant. There is reference to that, but it's, uh, it's much more emphasized. What's emphasized is the divine, is the nature of Christ as fully man and fully human. What's not so heavily emphasized is, well, what does that mean in practical terms? We believe and know that Christ, as a, as a babe, nevertheless was morally fully developed because he was God. And we don't deal a great deal with his uh, youth. There is some reference made in the Proto-Evangelion of James, which is uh, taken as, you know, it's, it's not scripture. There are some issues with it. But by and large, we rely upon it for information on the lives of, of uh, Jochum and, and Anna and of our Blessed Mother, and it helps us to define a lot about her. But in terms of Christ's youth, outside of the Muslims, who have uh, a number of Gnostic and uh, very late sources for their understanding of Christ's youth, there's not a whole lot to be said about it. And that itself raises a question about why we celebrate the Nativity, why we uh, think about uh, this. Part of the reason why we think about the Nativity when we think about Christ and we talk about the baby Jesus and why that's important, why he's, he's important, it comes from the ancient world itself. Children in the ancient world were a special class, as they have always been. They are, in the Latin language, they were referred to as liberi, which means free ones, because they have no cares or responsibilities. But children are also uh, silent in matters of the world. Their voices are not given any real attention. They are they speak when they're spoken to, when they are seen and not heard. This has been the attitude towards children since time immemorial, right up until the Victorian era. It's really only recently that we've started to be really concerned about our children's opinions. And that in and of itself throws a great deal into disarray. But our Lord came into the world not as a fully formed adult, not suddenly 
incarnate from the from the earth, but born in the same manner as any human baby is born, with the exception of the fact that he caused his mother no travail and no pain. He came into the world leaving her miraculously virgin, perpetually virgin. But he was helpless and dependent very much on the care of his parents. He also was voiceless, since physically speaking, a child does not have the motor skills necessary to form words uh, until a a little while along. And he was, as a human being, experiencing the full range of what a human being experiences in in its youth. From the from the helplessness and the dependency to the silence, uh, he went to the temple and could answer the questions and ask questions of the scribes and the Pharisees there when he performed his first visitation of the temple. But he was still a child in their eyes, and therefore, while very learned, no doubt, and he he gave credit to his parents by doing that. He did not bring credit to himself because he was a child. And so, in many ways, Christ's incarnation as a babe is a unique gift that is given to Mary and Joseph because he is, by all appearances and to everyone around him, a reflection on his parents, as any child would be. But it's also a unique humiliation for God because everything that he does as God is given as a credit to another. He represents the essence of everything that we are supposed to be when we are Christ-like. A total self-emptying, a complete humility. Christ exemplifies from the very moment of his birth until his death on the cross, perfect humanity. And perfect humanity would not be perfect if there were not the childhood of it, if there were not that period in which, you know, when, when I was a child, I desperately wanted to grow up because it meant that I, I, my opinion would matter. It, it meant that all, the, all sorts of things that come with adulthood from the, in the eyes of a child uh, are things which are usually deeply desired by children. This notion of I don't want to grow up, that the whole Toys R Us kid thing, that's, that's strictly artificial. Or if it's not artificial, it belongs to one unique generation. That is not a human experience. Children, by and large, do not want to remain children. And if they do, there's usually something wrong with them. Adults long for childhood because it frees them of responsibilities. But children, by and large, have the oppression of silence uh, on them because they are children. How much worse when, instead of thinking that you know everything, you actually do know everything because you're God. That is a true act of humility. And so there's an exemplary quality to Christ's nativity. There is the unique gift that Christ bestows on his mother and his foster father, her spouse, St. Joseph, which again exemplifies the gift that Christ gives to all of his saints, 
where his merits and his graces are bestowed upon the saints uh, and on all of us who make ourselves like him, on all of us who, like Mary, say, be it unto us, and who, like Joseph, simply silently obey and trust in God no matter what. The example of the Holy Family to all of us is an example of how they relate to God far more than how they relate to each other. You know, there's this popular notion going around that, and I see this in Catholic uh, parenting circles all the time, where they talk about, well, how to be a good mother, look at the Blessed Mother. No, don't look at the Blessed Mother. That's a terrible idea. The Blessed Mother was not raising a child. She had God in her arms. <laughs> you don't have God in your arms. And if your child thinks that you do, then you're not doing, you're doing something wrong. I usually recommend St. Monica because she's a far more she's a far better example of the kind of children that you you that you have to deal with a very human child. Um, St. Augustine, if, if he was anything, he was a very human man, uh, and he was a great saint nevertheless, which makes him an excellent model for your child, all your children, and makes St. Monica a far better example for you, whether you're a woman or a man, uh, as far as parenting is concerned. Especially in, a, in Santa Monica is just an excellent example to everyone generally when it comes to parenting. But there is this popular notion of, of looking to the Blessed Mother as a, as God, for guidance as a mother, and that's just an awful idea. It completely neglects what she is and the gift that was given to her by God and the role that she possesses. She is not ordinary. Uh, she is not run-of-the-mill, she's an exemplar in completely different ways for the way that we relate to God, and she's a an example to all of us in that regard. God gives all of his saints this unique blessing of partaking in his graces, and when we go to the saints and recognize the saints for who they are, they have that element to them, just as Mary and Joseph did. And likewise, God also strikes a balance in all of our lives between the sufferings we will endure and the blessings that we receive, such that His grace is always sufficient for us. And like St. Paul, we are told that He strengthens us no matter what. So. God will never send us a test that we are unable to bear. And Christ's, the gift of Christ's presence in his youth to the Blessed Mother and to St. Joseph reflects the suffering, the terrible, terrible suffering that our Blessed Mother would experience at his crucifixion and his passion and his death. And the immense joy that she and all those who came to follow him, many of whom were his cousins, would feel at his resurrection. There's also the emphasis on Christ as a member of a family. Christ is a member of a family. The Holy Family is a real thing. And it illustrates to us that Christ did not come into the world as an individual man, but he came into the world as a member of a greater whole, because that's what humanity is. All human beings are part of this greater whole, this this blood community of your family, your, your father, your mother, your grandparents, your brothers and cousins and sisters, 
your nieces, your nephews, all the members of your clan, of your tribe, of your nation. You come into the world as part of something. You do not come into the world as a blank slate, an individual with, uh, with no form that was, must then be shaped over time. You come into the world in many ways fully formed. In other ways, partially formed. You have to mature. You have to take on certain certain traits of perfection over time but as far as who God intends you to be from the moment of your your birth you bear the physical marks of that reality in your blood in your DNA in your physical form you are born a son of this line you are born a daughter of this line a scion of a house son of a father, a daughter of a mother, a grandson, a granddaughter. You are born as God intends you to be. And Christ, too, was born son of David, belonging to a specific lineage, and in his own day belonging to a specific clan, a specific tribe, a specific family unit. That's another lesson of Christmas. And why Christmas is a time for family. Because the Holy Family illustrates to us that we do not exist without our families. We cannot build one of artifice. It is granted to us by God. As Christ was granted a gift to Joseph in his old age. What an amazing gift to be given, to be caretaker of the Ark of the Covenant and the very Word of God incarnate. Now, if Mary is not the, is not the perfect example for mothers because mothers relate to their children in a certain way, Joseph is certainly an exemplar husband. The perfect caretaker. Joseph's job was much more important than ours, of course. And he had to care for something, and, and two people, someones, who were far greater than the something, our family, and the someones that we have to care for, though they're very near and dear to us. And so Christmas, as a feast, and as we prepare to go into it tomorrow, this is the thing to really take away and bear in mind, this is the whole point of this reflection, Christmas is a celebration and a reflection on Christ's humanity as part of a family, as part of the community that he belonged to as a human being. It's a reflection on what it means to be human. And the better that we understand what it means, what God intended us to be as human beings, the better we will understand what God desires us to be the better that we understand how we are to be as humans, as men and women, the better we will understand what it means to be saints. And so my prayer this Christmas Eve, this Vigil of the Nativity, is that 
you will, through the grace of this feast, have revealed to you a glimpse of the true humanity of Christ to which we must all strive and that the special graces of this feast will be bestowed on all of us that we may draw nearer to that true humanity and in drawing nearer to the true humanity draw nearer also to the God to the divinity of Christ in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost Amen